Let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to gather together as a body of believers here in this place. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who indwells us, and we thank you for the salvation that we have through faith in Christ. I pray that the study of your word would change us this morning, that it would mold us into the people that you desire for us to be, and uh, we just pray that we would be motivated to serve you with our lives. When we go away from this place, we thank you for the forgiveness of sins that we have and the fellowship that we can have with you because of that and the fellowship that we can have with one another because of that. And we just uh, thank you again for your word and pray that you'd be with us in this time as we dig into this uh, extremely important portion of your word to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we will forego our articles this morning, and you can't see anything I'm doing up here, so it doesn't really matter what I put up on my uh, iPad, which is all good. We are studying the book of Proverbs. If you'll remember, of course, it is a book about uh, sanctification primarily. That is, that is not even primarily. That's what the book is about, uh, how to live in this world that is against us, that is uh, always uh, fighting against God and against godly principles. And as we know from our study of the book of Ephesians, that we are in a constant uh, spiritual battle, which doesn't mean that we are fighting the boogeyman in the closet or the monster under our bed or something like that. It is a battle against sin. And the book of Proverbs is a book that instructs us how to live in this world in a way that pleases God. And there is no place uh, in the Bible that is more practical than the book of Proverbs. And there is no chapter of the book of Proverbs that is more practical for daily living than, I think, than Proverbs chapter 3. I've entitled this 10 Keys for Contentment, or 10 Keys to the Christian Life, and that that is what Proverbs chapter 3 is all about. And if you could see them, you would see what these 10 keys are. And, but you can't, so I'll have to read them to you. Uh, but they are all contained within Proverbs chapter 3, and that's basically how the book is, div- or how the chapter is divided, is into these 10 kind of different, not really commands, but uh, ways in which we can live for the Lord. And when you put them all together, it is, uh, it's very convicting, and it's... Uh, just personally gave me an appreciation for God's word and how he cares for us and how he wants us to be successful in the Christian life. And these are, uh, the 10 are to internalize God's word, to trust in the Lord, have no confidence in yourself, honor the Lord with your money, grow in the struggle of life, you know, everything isn't going to work out perfectly, like the technology 
<laughs> like uh, elections, like how your neighbor, how you interact with your neighbor, how work is, the people that you come in contact with, all of these things are kind of fighting against us, really, and against our contentment. Proverbs chapter 3 tells us how to grow in those things. Uh, The sixth key to contentment is to seek wisdom and knowledge, to seek the kingdom and the righteousness of the kingdom. That's what Jesus told uh, his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount. Always know that the Lord is with you is another key. Be generous with your, not just with your money uh, to church. You know, that's what so many churches uh, kind of emphasize in their giving that, oh, you know, if you just give to the church and you'll get back even more in this kind of uh, charlatanism, I guess. I'm not sure that's a word, but we need to be generous with our, not just our money, but also with our, with our time with people. And we should also be loving our neighbor uh, and eschewing evil. So I'm sure when we uh, get the get the screen back up and running, you'll be able to see these. But the first key to contentment is to internalize God's word. That's kind of where where it all begins. Uh, contentment in this life it is it is found in applying the principles of God's word. You know, God appeared to people in the Old Testament times. He would physically come to them and give them some kind of instructions. And when he did that, he was, make no mistake, he was helping people out when he came and appeared to them. He was giving them something that they needed to hear. And so if we take the Bible for what it is, this is, this is God appearing to us and communicating with us. So we ought to uh, treat it with the seriousness that it, that it deserves. And that's the first, the first key to contentment is internalizing God's Word, studying it, knowing it, learning it, applying it to your life. It doesn't mean you have to be a theologian. It doesn't mean you, ha- you need to have a Ph.D., in the Bible, quite frankly, about 99% of the PhDs in the Bible, uh, people who have PhDs in the Bible, I'm not sure that they really <laughs> apply it as it should be applied. And so you don't, you don't have to be the smartest person in the world. You don't have to understand every single word of the text. Similar to the way that you don't have to be the richest person in the world to be the most generous person in the world. The Lord praised the woman who put her two pennies in to the offering because she was giving everything she had. So if you only understand three principles from God's word, whatever they may be, and you apply them perfectly all the time, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I guarantee you will hear from the Lord when you meet him one day. So you just kind of take what you understand and apply it to your life and you will be very well off. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1 says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. 
For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. So when we come to this uh, verse 1 of Proverbs 3 again, we're reminded this is Solomon using uh, biblical poetry to get across his point, and and that's why he references his son, that he's writing this to his son. And so it becomes very obvious that, uh, it quickly becomes very obvious that this doesn't only apply to Solomon's sons, it applies to whoever you may be. This is God inspiring Solomon to write these truths for all of humanity, essentially. And he says, do not forget my teaching. That word for teaching there is the Hebrew word Torah, which uh, the Hebrews, uh, the Hebrew Bible, the title for the first five books is sometimes called the Torah or the law. It's the same, the same word there, uh, translated in the NASB as teaching. And this is something that the, that the Jewish people at least in the times of Mo, uh, Moses, why did why does everybody confuse Moses and Noah? That's weird. I don't, why do I? I guess I should say they're two very different people. But in the times of Moses, they obviously and throughout their history, they took the word of God very seriously at varying levels at different times during Moses. And when he's delivering Deuteronomy to them, they were very interested in, in God's word. Other times, they were not. If you'll remember, they forget God's word and they fall into sin and bad things happen to them as a result. And when they remembered God's word and they lived according to God's word, God blessed them and prospered them. But the, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6 in verse 4, uh, Moses says to the people, if you remember Deuteronomy, is the second giving of the law. This is Moses giving the people the law again right before, after the 40 years of wandering in the desert, right before they go into the land. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4 says, this is what's known as the Shema of Israel, based on this first word here, here. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so, as is human nature, what do the, what do the Jewish people do uh, in large measure today when they, they are not living in faith? They take these a wooden, literal translation of these words, 
and they walk around with boxes tied to their heads with little pieces of scripture in there and things wrapped around their arms and and all of these kinds of things. Uh, That is not at all what this is saying, which is obvious from the text itself. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. He's telling them to internalize these things. Make it a part of who you are. Uh, And bind them as a sign on your hand and, and these kinds of things. It should always be in the forefront of your mind and on your hands, your actions is what God is trying to tell them. You need to always be thinking about God's Word and how uh, the situations that you face in this world are uh, talked about in God's Word. And your actions, your hands, your feet, these kinds of things are symbolic of what you are doing. And so then you take God's Word that you have hidden in your heart, treasured in your heart, in your mind, and you apply it to the actions that you are uh, carrying out. And this is the same thing that Solomon is saying, is saying here. Do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Obey with your heart. It all starts in the heart uh, as... David says in Psalm 51, verses 16 and 17, of course, a psalm that he wrote after sinning with Bathsheba, uh, and he realized the error of his way. Psalm 51, verse 16, for you do not delight in sacrifice, David says to the Lord. Otherwise, I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. That, that is internalizing God's word and realizing your uh, position before him as a fallen person in going to him. And here, this is internalizing God's word, remembering the teaching, allowing God's word to change who you are. Romans 12, verses... Uh, one through three, Paul says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So uh, we're not to be conformed by this world that is against God at every turn, uh, in every, everywhere we go, every show you watch on TV, uh, almost without exception, is trying to conform you to the world that is around us. Some, uh, some method of thinking. That is their goal. They're not, uh, with very few exceptions, they're not just making a TV show, even, uh, you know, some kind of uh, comedy or even like adult cartoons and this kind of thing. They're not, 
they aren't just making a, a funny thing to get you to laugh and turn your brain off for a half hour, even though it may seem like that. They are trying to form your way of thinking about God and about the world. And instead of allowing that to happen, I'm not saying don't, you know, don't watch any TV or whatever. If you're aware of these things, it's good for you to sometimes uh, see how the world is being deceived. As long as you're not just turning your brain off, but you're thinking about these things, thinking about how God's word applies to these various situations that you're encountering and allowing your mind to be transformed by God's word rather than what you're intaking from the world. That's what we ought to do. And when we do that, we can prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect when we are conformed to his perfect word. And notice that this actually has an effect on us. According to Proverbs chapter 3, this has an effect on uh, the quality, not just the quality of our life, but according to this, also the quantity of our life is increased as we live according to God's word. And of course, these are uh, general principles, if you will. Doesn't mean that, it, that if you are a good Christian and you follow God's word, that you are guaranteed to live to 100 or you're guaranteed to live to at least 80 if you do these kinds of things. Uh, we live in a fallen world. Sometimes bad things happen to good people and these kinds of things, but it is general principle. And the quality of your life, it is almost, it, it is a guarantee that at the very least, the quality of your life is going to increase if you are living according to uh, godly principles. And this is, uh, science shows this. If you are, if you do not have the stress in your life that sin causes, it increases the quality of your life and decreases your chance of, uh, disease essentially that is caused by stress and and other things there are other sins that lead directly to uh cancer uh, viruses and all of these kinds of things that are a direct result of some various uh sins the good don't die young uh, as, in spite of what songs may tell us anyway uh Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. And that is true in both uh, kind of physically and spiritually as well. Sin causes us to die physically. It also causes us, of course, to die spiritually. So there is kind of a, a dual... Uh, wouldn't say a dual meaning going on here in this in this verse, but a dual application. It certainly is true in both respects. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
And when we, when we are living according to God's word, we have peace with God. That, that's worth something in our, in our living, certainly. Romans 5.1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exalt in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations. So if, if we are living according to God's word, we can rejoice when bad things are kind of happening to us because God is forming us. He's shaping us into the people that he wants us to be. Uh, and Paul goes on, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. So at the very least, when we uh, face difficult circumstances in our life, it ought to remind us that we're, you know, this isn't, this isn't it. This isn't all that life is about. It should remind us that we have a heavenly home and we have the hope of uh, living with the Lord for a thousand years in his kingdom on this earth and then for eternity in a new creation that's better than this one, that isn't fallen and affected by sin. And, and that, is our, that is our destiny. This life is not our destiny. So at the very least, when difficulties come, we can be reminded of that. We have peace with God when we live in fellowship with him. We also have peace with man when we uh, live in a way that is pleasing to him. Again, um, kind of a, a general principle, sometimes uh, people and governments act in an evil way, if you can, if you can believe it. That's, it's actually the truth. Uh, however, as a general principle, as you walk according to God's word, you may face difficulties, but you can know that, uh, that you are in the right if you are living according to God's word, and that, that is, is worth a lot. And when things are uh, operating the way they are supposed to be, when you live according to godly principles, you are at peace with the people around you. Paul says in Romans 13, verse 8, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the whole law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And so this, of course, comes in Romans 13, verses 8 through 10, that was, where Paul uh, earlier in the chapter describes how we are to have peace with the governmental authorities around us. And that is essentially summed up in living according to God's word. And if we do that, we have an expectation that, they, that we aren't going to be in trouble with them if we live according to God's word. And of course, that brings up the whole 
issue of, well, how about when the government doesn't respect God's word or godly principles and they begin to punish people for living according to godly principles and that that's just a whole nother uh, issue that we don't have time to get into today but it it comes down to living according to God's word is the ultimate uh, standard for us and that is what what we are beholden to so the first principle in living a uh, a life of contentment or living according to uh, or living for the Lord is internalizing God's word, not just an academic understanding or m- academic memorization of of God's word, but in internalizing it, putting it into your heart, allowing it to affect your your thinking and your actions, what, what you do. That is the very first and foundational principle to the concept of how to live for the Lord. And next is found in Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trusting in the Lord. Uh, trust in Him is paramount in living for Him. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. This was actually probably the first uh, passage of the Bible that I memorized. Some uh, A woman who's very fond to me uh, it's probably still in there. I still have one of my old flight suits hanging in the in the closet. Uh, she made a card for me. That's my wife, by the way. She made a card for me and laminated it uh, back when we actually used to write things on index cards and that sort of thing. We didn't have phones to text one another. And I, I'm very thankful for that because I had this card that was laminated with Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 on it for my the entire time that I was in the Navy, and I still remember it, and this is the number one verse when I uh, think to remind my I'm in some situation where I need to trust the Lord, this is the one that comes to mind immediately. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. And I mix now... Over the years, I mixed the King James version with the NASB version, so it doesn't come out perfectly. But uh, nevertheless, uh, trusting in the Lord always. That is a command there, actually. The, the Hebrew word is batak for trust, and it is an imperative, a command to us. If you want contentment, in the Christian life, you must trust in the Lord. Command. This is something that you have to do. Uh, and that is, the word trust means to rest in, uh, be confident in, in His plan, in His purpose, in His Word to us. We have to trust in His Word the way that uh, Hezekiah did in Second Kings 
chapter 18, one of the last kings of Judah, and he was one of the good ones. 2 Kings 18, verse 1, Now it came about in the third year of Hoshea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, became king. He was 25 years old when he became king. And he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Abby, the daughter of Zechariah. He did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. He removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah. He also broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the sons of Israel burned incense to it. So they took something that was good, that was a perfect picture that even the Lord used later as a perfect picture of how he will be lifted up on the cross, dying for the sins of the world. Well, Moses, when the Lord told him to put this bronze serpent on the post, it's when the, the people had been bitten by snakes. And then the Lord told Moses that well, if you just put this bronze serpent on the post and you hold it up and everybody uh, now starts following the law and makes sure they've got their life in order and does this and does that and makes sure to not do this, then they'll be healed from the snake bite. Of course, that's not what the story was. Put the bronze serpent on the post, hold up the post and look and live. One requirement, not a list of do's and don'ts, one requirement, look at that snake, trust in God's provision for you, and you will be healed. Jesus says the same thing. As the serpent was lifted up, so must the Son of Man be lifted up on the cross. Look and live. One requirement. Hezekiah did not make an idol out of that thing, as the Jewish people did. He took it down. He got rid of it. No, we can't have that. We can't have uh, making an idol to, oh, I don't know, a crucifix, a picture of Jesus on the cross and worshiping it and kissing it and doing these kinds of things that people do. No, no, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. You're supposed to trust in what the Lord did on that cross for us, not make an idol out of it. Notice what else Hezekiah did. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that after him there was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor among those who were before him. For he clung to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. You want an a, a, uh, example to follow if you perhaps find yourself in a position of leadership or just as a person, follow the example of Hezekiah. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, and he clung to the Lord. He did not depart from following him. That, he is the ultimate example of trusting in the Lord. And we are not to trust in our own way of thinking, uh, don't rely on the flesh. Don't rely on your, your experiences exclusively. Don't rely, that's called empiricism. Don't rely on reasoning, human reasoning. That's known as rationalism. 
we have to rely upon the Lord. We rely upon uh, our understanding of God's word. So there is an element of uh, experience or how things have worked out when we've trusted in God's word, how things work out when we don't trust in God's word, our experiences. We have to humanly understand God's word. That's God's desire for us. He says in Isaiah, come let us reason together. God doesn't want us to just be blindly following after the words of some man. No, he wants us to reason together with him. We do that through understanding his word. Uh, So there are elements of these things, but it's not exclusively our experiences to the exclusion of God and and his word. It's not what we dream up on our own. It's how we understand God's word. Acknowledge God in all that you do. That's part of trusting in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Don't trust in your own way of thinking. Acknowledge Him in everything that you do. Perfect anti-example of that is Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira. They were not acknowledging God when they brought their offering to Him and and lied about it and tried to get the glory of selling their house or property or whatever. And then, oh, here, here's everything we've got. No, that's a lie. You're looking for uh, glory from the giving of this gift. So it's not, it's not the amount, it's what's going on in your heart. And they lost their lives uh, because of that. And so uh, we also need to be ready for the Lord's leading. I have the example of Acts chapter 16 and Paul's second missionary journey and how uh, he was certainly led by the Lord and those that he was with uh, were led by the Lord. And that's a whole nother discussion that we can probably uh, save for next time we can come back to this uh, next week. Because he promises to guide us. This isn't some sort of mystical guidance where he's appearing to us in dreams and telling us what to do. But rather his word guides us like it says in Psalm 119.105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And we'll pick it up here next time. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the book of Proverbs. I thank you for the incredible... Uh, application that we can find here and just pray that your Holy Spirit would do that work in our hearts and in our minds and that we would uh, trust in you at all time, trust in your word at all times and allow it to shape our thinking and our actions. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.